I don't want to go on a tangent about this, but all these oh. one o'clock re- games. You cannot have five games in a row that are one o'clock. OUA I've- do better. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Me and Tom are back in the studio. Well, in our separate studios. We're still doing the Zoom thing, but that's all right. Two set up week five in the OUA. Uh, Tom, my friend, uh, obviously we don't get to uh, break down the previous week's uh, action, but as a, as a quick sort of hello to the folks who've been just longing to hear the, your dulcet tones. Um, a, how are you? B, what did you think of the, the, the weekend of the blowouts? Oh, I am fantastic, Zach. Anytime I get to, ch- to chat about OUA football, it just brings a smile to my face. And seeing your beautiful mug, even if it's over Zoom, just adds to a little bit of this friday amazingness uh <laughs> thinking about last week one game i really want to focus in on is my mcmaster marauders i know i picked against them and who boy did they ever prove me wrong uh but what i do want to say here and what you and nate kind of alluded to on the uh recap podcast as well is waterloo we've kind of discovered is not a great benchmark to show how great an offense is or can be in anything else and if anything if any mcmaster marauder fans out there watch this game sure we're happy you know you got you got the one win on the season now with that york technical uh, disqualification but if anything this just infuriated me because this is a sign of how good this team could be if they have proper blocking, if they dominate the line of scrimmage, they can do a 43 to nothing game super easily. And so that's how much talent is in the back end of this team, both offensively and defensively. And I think the defensive line, to be fair, has been doing great. Like we said, there's been a lot of problems with that offensive line, but my God, it was just nice to see the Marauders dominate a team again for the first time this season properly. No, 100 percent. And like that, once again, I feel like I've been drawing this parallel with Mac and Carlton all year long. It's the same thing where just we haven't got that game from Carlton. And I'm not going to include the York win for them, nor the week one win versus Mac uh, in, in sort of in, in to speak in the same uh, with the same enthusiasm that you just did of Mac and being like, if you feel like I'm being harsh Ravens fans, if you feel like I'm being harsh Marauders fans. It's just because I've been following these these teams for as long as I have now, and I have certain expectations of you that I don't feel like you're meeting up to based on the caliber of coaching players and and also like resources that I know those teams have available to them. But you make a great point. So I but I get that it's it's like a double edged sword in that regard where it's like, all right, like it's one thing if you kind of just folded it up and said, hey, we've had this big issue, let's pack her in, whatever. I mean, not that they would do that. They would never do that. Not with uh, Potasic at the helm. But it's almost like, all right, so this you can't go back now. I mean, I, I, to shout out my my old coach, uh, Todd Galloway, who's still coaching with the Golden Hawks, you know, as soon as your your best game, that's our, that's now your worst game now. And now you've set the bar, and that's, you know, whether how, as you said, and as me and Nate talked about, depending on what type of a bar we want to call Waterloo, all right, Mac, eyes are on you. And they, of course, got the bye week. Um, so we'll turn our attention to this coming week. Before we do so, you know, uh, Tom, you, you were you were splitting your attention multiple ways last week between the slate of games we had in the OU way, but also being at a Michigan Wolverines game. And we were talking off mic just about what the you know ambiance was in the environment. Um, and, and you were saying that there was like 110,000 people and it wasn't even sold out, which is just bonkers. But it, it brought to mind one of the the posts on our Instagram and and, and I, I gather that we don't always have the same following of folks who listen to the pod who follow on Instagram. So you might not have seen this if you're listening to it, but we did in following up with a survey posted to get people's opinions on the question of how would you fill the stands? We put out a post that involved, that included some of those responses. Um, so I'll, First of all, actually, I'll, I'll go to you first, just in talking about your experience, and then perhaps we can see where the responses that we got and that we shared maybe align or, or have a brief talk about that. I don't want to take up too much time with the pod, but it's just so apropos that these two events kind of happen simultaneously. So so what was that like in Michigan? Yeah, well, first off, the, the atmosphere there is always electric. Um, 
I've been a diehard University of Michigan fan ever since I was told so by my father. Uh, and uh, <laughs> we've been going down to watch a Michigan football game for the past, you know, 14 years or something like that. We go every single year. Um, and it's it's always just such an incredible environment. Like you said, you know, 110,000 people and they didn't sell out the stadium. I think that stadium now with the new additions and things can hold like 120 or 130 but you really, especially being an OUA football fan, you can't help but draw comparisons because the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, is one hour away from Windsor. And as I was mm-hmm. driving back from that same game, I was passing by the start of the Windsor-Toronto game. And, you know, they had a decent crowd out, but it's still like 4,000 people. An hour away, you can get 110. It was just so crazy to me. So I started looking at some things and there's a lot of similarities between some of the proposed ideas that we posted on Instagram versus what I saw. And the biggest contributor in there, in my opinion, is the entertainment that's happening in game outside of the football game. You know, how many TV timeouts are there, especially in the uh, American games and things like that. Every single timeout, they have something planned there. They're bringing out a championship team from the year before, you know, here's the men's gymnastics team that won gold medals and, and things like that. They've got small little, Uh, games that they run at the same time like the largest standing ovation that you saw during one of those things was just a dog owner and his and his dog (laughs) throwing a frisbee and the dog would catch it in midair and all 110,000 people are screaming their their heads off and so it was just always keeping you know the fans engaged in some way if that wasn't happening on the field they have so many other traditions of you know there's certain hand signals that you do and there's chants and fight songs and whatever else and so the entire time you're in tune with the game along with you know that american factor of football is life and it's in their veins and everything else but certainly there are some key factors there that i think we could bring up to canada and help with the uh, the fact that you know we are struggling in certain games to really get fans out to stadiums consistently yeah, and and you know I think we've talked about this a bit that you know a, a number of us getting to go to a few games. There's been some really great fan experiences in a handful, a handful of them, and it does feel as though often it peters out a little bit as you get into that you know the the home you know obviously you get your homecoming, your orientation week games, a few other sort of big rivalry games that the schools can fill the stands with. But then as you know the 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 pressures of, of just school get a little higher and students get a little more distracted by all that stuff and whatever else. It, it's hard to maintain that focus. But going over to the the responses that we shared from our poll that we had on our on our Instagram and you're bang on a lot of them were reflected in that we uh you know uh, talking about halftime shows people highlighting having local artists or even big names i mean you know hey dream big dream small whatever we got to do get people in the stands uh providing student sections with coordinated cheers like they do in the NCAA uh it was great seeing you know queens obviously being a school of such uh immense tradition um, you know, when they score their touchdowns, I think it was on the last one they score and, and like the whole offense runs over to the end zone. And, uh, you know, I, oh, Nate, only Nate can sing their, the, the, the K ya fight song or whatever on this podcast. I'm not even going to try to do it, but you know, with the dance and everything like that was, that was beautiful, but obviously a bit of an outlier and, you know, Queens and tradition goes hand in hand, like peanut butter and jelly. Um, has to be a campus culture um, than having uh, active and connected alumni. So, you, you know, a bit to your point of having, you know, other championship teams uh, supporting on uh, all facets with it, the campus culture for sure. Uh, what else do we get? Mimic the U.S. Create more ha- um, more hype and halftime shows that aren't cringe. Uh, obviously, we don't have a, an exact example of what they're talking about, but I think you know we all perhaps have it. We all know what that means, even if we don't know what they're talking about in specific. Um, <laughs> this one, you know, we'll put in the dream big section of offering a halftime prize of one year free tuition tickets and concession sales will make up for it. I mean, I'm still I, st- I would still love to know what the gate concessions and everything at the Western Queens game was because, you know, that was just uh, ridiculous how filled that place was. So, you know. In that regard, you probably could pay a, a large chunk of someone's tuition. But, you know, uh, these schools are still businesses. They don't like to say it, but they're businesses. What else did we get? Um, throw more tailgates, selling booze to students. I, I, most schools, I think, do have a beer tent of some kind. You know, that's kind of the 
I don't know if it's the elephant in the room or what the proper metaphor is. I, I don't love the notion of overhyping the culture of 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 you know alcohol consumption per se on campuses. The availability of it, I think, you know, sure, why not? But to make it as you know, when we think of like U.S. tailgates or CFL tailgates as well, and just how the consumption of alcohol gets with those, that's something I I I draw a bit of a, a line. I have some pause at when it comes to university students because I think that creates more problems for as as it's it's obvious to see the benefit that could come of that of just the excitement of people. You know, hey, you have a few or a few too many, but you know, I. I yeah. I worry what that could create um, on campus promotion, not just athletic buildings um, start off uh, offering high, free tickets to high schools. Um, I think that's brilliant. Um, obviously most schools will give, you know, their own students free tickets, but yeah, having uh, high schoolers come in um, and then uh, actively or sorry, actually using social media accounts effectively. Um, so some of those more pragmatic than others, but nonetheless, I mean, you kind of have to dream big at the same time as thinking proactively Um any sort of last thoughts on those ideas that we had come in just in conjunction with what you what you saw uh, last week or what you've seen over the years going down to some of these games in the States? Yeah, it's interesting to kind of talk about that. And I think a lot of people's easy fixes, oh, if you just sell, you know, the booze and the stands or whatever, that'll fix everything. People want to show up to that. And what people don't understand or at the very least maybe don't realize is at least at Michigan, you can't buy alcohol in the stands whatsoever. There's no booze that mm. are sold at these games and you still pack in 110,000 people. Now, the difference with a lot of these is because you have a stadium that can fit 110,000 people, you obviously need to take into consideration how those people are going to get out, what's the driving like and everything else. So most of these stadiums are built at the edge of campus so that you still have lots of traffic that can kind of run through and everything else. Almost every single stadium in the OUA is built on campus. You know, especially, you, you know, you look at programs like McMaster, even Waterloo and things, you're right in the heart of the campus and they're very limited in how many people can get in, how many people can get out. And also that limits, you know, your tailgating space. You know, if you want to tailgate across the street, down the road in the other park where you're like 20 minute walk away, or you just try to huddle around your car, or your truck in the parking lot, maybe have a couple of sips and then right into the, into the, the stadium. So you really don't have the space for that. And the booze doesn't is not a fix all. And even if you get people to show up because of the booze, chances are they're going to be so hammered at the games that they're actually a deterrent for the people who actually do want to watch the game. So I think that there's better things that we can be doing to get more people into stands um, than just, you know, feeding them with booze and, and going on from there. 100%. And I think at the end of the day, the the game itself is what should sell well, the game, the game is the product and it should sell itself. And let's uh, hop into what makes these uh, these games we have this weekend um, such hot ticket items. Uh, I don't want to go on a tangent about this, but all these uh, one o'clock games. You cannot have five games in a row that are one o'clock. OUA I've do better. I really want to swear. I really want to cuss. I mean, it's it's, it's my show. I, I it's our you know. I, there's no reason I can't. But like, holy smokes! Like this this is so annoying, man. I, you know, and we were talking about it, especially when one of these games is Windsor going to Carlton. You lose an entire day. That's an eight-hour drive from Windsor to Ottawa. You lose an entire day of class on that Friday. You lose a prep day. You lose everything. Like just Windsor Carlton. Then on the flip side, we have the Battle of Toronto. It's a subway ride away. So that's the most accommodable game that you could switch or you could fit on any schedule. We have Waterloo at Western. That's a simple enough drive. Queens at Guelph, you know, that's, you know, whatever. Not as bad. Ottawa Laurier, once again, uh, uh, I'm, you know, I, my my hands are literally on my head right now, folks. I just, it's it's so annoying. It, uh, but, anyways, that's not going to deter us doing what we do, and it's certainly not going to deter me from having, golly, I guess five games on my computer at the same time trying to follow this out. But I do it for you because I love you. So let's hop into the first game that they at least have listed on the website because that's the only way we could, I guess, discern what order we're going to go in because we can't go chronologically. 
the Ottawa Gigi's are hitting the road to take on the Wilfred Laurier Golden Hawks. Both these teams coming off of, based on the scores, both coming on coming off convincing wins, but I'd say only one of them doing so. Ottawa, of course, off their uh, beat down. Don't get it twisted off of because of the Daniel Oladejo non-touchdown touchdown, the 46-10 beatdown they put on the Guelph Griffins. They are better than Guelph. That is just that is hands down a fact, and I say that with. By the time that we are airing this podcast, I will be attending a Stu Lang reunion, a Stu Lang era reunion dinner, six seven hours hence. I'm you know I that's just the truth of from what we've seen on the field. Laurier, of course, beats up Lor, uh, pardon me, York thirty two nothing. Thought they could do so with a little more, a little more oomph, but nonetheless, Ottawa at Laurier. Um, you know, to me, this is a pretty one-sided matchup. I think Ottawa has established themselves as, I get, you know, I, I was going to say the third best team. I mean, obviously when you look at the stands, that's where they slot in and, and Queens did beat them in Ottawa. But I think it is pretty close to a 2A, 2B right now, especially not to get ahead of ourselves, talk about Queens too much, but just with how beat up Queens is defensively. If these two teams rematch, I don't think there's that much separation from sort of where they're at right now. Laurier, really young team. They're returning home. We obviously talk that York, despite the number of issues they have, can cause a lot of issues for other teams. And, you know, perhaps I kind of had it backwards. I mean, this is all just, you know, we're going to rationalize the things we get right and, and rationalize away the things we got wrong. My thinking of there being a young team was like, well, they don't even they don't know enough not to take York as seriously as they would take Western. So they're going to go in full steam ahead. Maybe the truth of the matter is that as a young team, they weren't prepared to really handle at first all the noise and all the ruckus that York's going to bring. Of course, like I said, I, I'm just sort of justifying it whichever way it goes. Um but nonetheless, when I look at this game, though, to me, Ottawa is just firmly the better team in this matchup. Ben Miracle had, I, I was saying it with Nate, and I'll say it again, I think his best, uh, probably his best game in the OUA. They were clicking. I mean, the run game with JP was going as, as well as it's been going all year, and Amlikar Polk getting it going as well. And, and that core of receivers they have is deadly. Uh, I'm not even going to talk about their defense because, I mean, I, I I feel like I'm already just between talking about the, the these games being a one o'clock all these games at one o'clock my, my my blood's getting too heated and if I talk about this GG defense I mean that just gets me going because I love him so much let me pass it over to you what are your thoughts on this GG Golden Hawk matchup from uh, from Kitchener Waterloo yeah I think you and I have kind of talked about this off the pod as well and you I think you and Nate brought it up um, on the recap we have not seen a team dominate York the way we are we have expected them to you know, it's so crazy to me that you see all these big numbers and think, oh, you know, York's getting blown out, York's whatever, but they're causing real problems. People can't seem to completely open up their offenses again against them. I don't know if people just keep uh, taking them lightly or if York's putting together some kind of a game plan and things, but even Taylor Elgersma, 17 of 25, 140 yards with a long of 19 yards. That means all 17 of those have been quick darts, maybe a first down here and there, whatever, but just going down the field, you know, two touchdowns and a pick. It's just, I've been expecting people to just open up the offense against York and really put up some numbers and things. And I really haven't seen that. You know, we saw the outstanding run game that Laurier has for sure with Quentin Scott and Tanner uh, Nelma, you know, 17 rushes for Scott, 172 yards and a touchdown is nothing to sneeze at. And I think he's finally starting to, to come into his own like we saw flashes of last year as well. So lots of things to kind of look at on this Laurier team, lots of positives for sure, but not quite there yet. And then you look over on the Ottawa side of things. And like you said, Ben Miracle comes right out on that last preview podcast. We had, I doubted Ben Miracle pretty heavily and my God, that he shut me up 17 of 28, 303 yards and uh, three touchdowns. That's pretty substantial. And sure. Maybe you want to take away that one touchdown because it wasn't a touchdown. Yes. Fine. But still, those are some amazing numbers. And like you said, that one touchdown is not mattering all that much in this game. Ottawa is the better team here. They beat Guelph pretty handily. So I think 
Ottawa really just seems to be the more complete team here. If I, if we're looking at it, their defense is just rolling around like crazy. James Peter is a tackling machine, and uh, it just really seems like Ottawa is finding their stride at a perfect point in the season. Yeah, and, and just more on the GGs. I mean, that defense, they're, they're, they're top three in points per game allowed. Offensively, that, that rushing game has them top five in the league. Their passing game is top five. And, and just, you know, it's just an all-around team that's... Um, it, they're, they're getting in that status where against teams that are at or below their level you have to have a really good game just to stay with them but they have the ability to and they're not going to shoot themselves in the footer at least we haven't seen them do that either so with a young team like Laurier that's definitely a bit more prone to making a few mistakes uh I you know if, if you haven't figured it out by by now I, I'm I'm rolling with the GGs in into into Kitchener to pick up the win on this one Tom are you with me on that one I'm rolling with the GGs betting on that horse buddy all right, let's go. Um, let's move into our our second one o'clock game, uh, the, the game that um, I know has drawn both our interest in poss- possibly attending. Though I, I'm I'm pretty sure I, I won't be attending any games this week. It's the Queens Gales going into Guelph to take on the Griffins. Um, you know, uh, a big rivalry game historically, and a matchup that. Going into the season, I think was of a bit more interest than it is for me now at week five, though, as sort of set up with some of the injuries that Queens has been dealing with defensively, this could give Guelph an opportunity. You know, their their offense has been so up and down. We talked about whether Waterloo defensively isn't. Well, you know, they, they aren't a, a stalwart defense. I mean, just looking by the numbers, let's see, you know, they're. They're the third worst defense right now in points per game. But you know who's just who's worse than them and only better than York defensively in points per game by about four points? That's the Guelph Griffins. Yikes. And specifically, you know, I keep talking about, and this is going to come up when we get to the Carlton team, as far as teams that other schools are able to rush on. Guelph right now gets rushed on more than in terms of yards per game than any other team. So we can say whatever we want about the GG, pardon me, the Golden Gales defense being beat up and maybe Helfrich will bounce back off of a down game against Ottawa, which, you know, just went over how stellar that defense is. Um, and he was able to have success against a Waterloo defense is not all that great. So maybe he can get it going. Your boy Isaiah Smith at the beginning of that Ottawa game. I mean, I was thinking like, wow, you know, they, they they might be able to stay in this game, make it a fight solely on the back of young Mr. Smith. But if there's one thing we've talked about all year with this Queens team, and, you know, we mentioned what Ben Miracle did in his coming out game last week. I mean, James Keenan, holy crow. But if there's one thing that Queens does well is they run the dang ball and they seemingly run it with whomever they have. I mean, it's I'm forgetting the young man's name. They were rushing it with uh, last week for the, you know, the big output. But, you know, it seems just like the system there is so solid. So a Guelph, a Guelph team that's been up and down specifically a team that's gotten rushed on. We all remember what happened when Windsor came into Guelph to Alumni Stadium and, and did them um, and what they did to them in the run game. You know, that has me, that has me, you know, I, I, I think about the Queens defense being banged up at the end of the day. I just think about what this Queens team does on the ground and what Guelph's allowed in the rushing game. And I got, I think you'd have to be worried if you're cheering for, if you're cheering for Guelph this week, what do you think about with this team? Yeah, I think uh, you, you you hammered all the, the right points there. Uh, my biggest concern last week was against J.P. Simakinda and that awesome run game that the Ottawa GGs have. And then Ben Miracle came up and said, oh, me too, me too. I'm a problem too. And just kind of did his thing there. And I don't want to take anything away from the GGs because they obviously played lights out. But I watched that game. At least I watched the first little, uh, the first half of it. And Guelph just... They started off pretty strong. They had a couple of decent drives, got into some enemy territory, you know, flipped the field a little bit. And then you see things like uh, from Jake Helfrich where 
You know, he's not setting his feet properly. He's throwing balls into the dirt or receivers are dropping balls. And it just seems to me, I've had a lot of people actually reach out to me because obviously I coached with the team in 2019 and everything else. And just, Hey, Tom, what is going on with the Guelph Griffins right now? And I can tell you there's two, two main things in my opinion. A, that defense is banged up worse than any team in the country right now, I would I would say. I think at one point in time with certain guys who were off the field and um, certain guys who got injured in games, they had something like 10 injured players. So they got hit by that injury bug pretty pretty nasty. I've been told that Anthony Martuzo is not going to be back for the rest of the year. He's out with a season-ending oh. injury. Yeah, I don't know if he tried to push himself or what the, 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 uh, the deal is there, but he is out. Um, I've been told that they're very uh, hopeful for Christian Stewart. He could be back as early as this week, maybe even next week. Um, so maybe they have one of those key uh, members back for that defense, but losing Mortuzo for the entire year, that, that hurts big. Uh, and then you have a Queens offense that comes off a coming out party for James Keenan, 19 for 22, 364 yards and four touchdowns. That is nothing to sneeze at. Mm. And then you've got the running game. Like you were talking about, you know, we know about Anthony souls, but Yan Longa 15 rushes, 112 yards for three touchdowns. Holy crap. Talking about like a coming out party with that kind of thing. And then, you know, everybody else in that, huge huge rushing attack that just queens has in general we're we're seeing a queens offense at the very least starting to come into their own and really starting to improve on a yates cup contender last year and getting even better this year as the games go on and as they roll through yeah they're dealing with a lot of injuries on defense and things and you got some guys that are banged up but right now i think that offense can carry them against some of these really good teams here and with a defense that's pretty banged up, but with the Griffins and uh, not being able to defend against the run against a team that's got like three or four runners that could go for 100 yards if you let them, whoo, it's going to be a tough game there, fellas. Yeah, you, and you know, you you mentioned sort of that offense being so well-rounded for Queens and James Keenan's uh, you know coming out game, and that might be that might be a bit of a disservice. I mean, he, he you know it was probably one of his one of if not his most impressive games but i mean he certainly had has has had some good games in his career but you know when you look at the uh and i, I know you weren't saying he wasn't um but when you look at the the stats and I, I i hate to become you know uh mr analytics over here but you know just taking a look at, by the numbers just in terms of team yardage and passing queen sits at third but the only two teams ahead of them right now are mac and carlton and while andreas duick and uh deong are very good quarterbacks in their own right those are teams that haven't been able to run the ball consistently at all this year you look at on the contrary you look at a team like western and you know they've already had their buy so you know maybe the numbers get skewed like that they're seventh in passing right now but that's because they can run the ball and that's all they need to do and they just need to go hey you know evan you know we can just bring you out when we need to you're the vanier cup mvp from last year and the rookie they're all that jazz but we'll only you know just as to change things up a little bit but just to that point we know how effective they run yet they're still third in passing and the fact that the two teams ahead well albeit i give all the credit in the world to de Jong and to duick as top flight quarterbacks the reason they're there right now is because they have been able to run the ball and they have to throw it more Queens is sitting in third place with albeit Ottawa right behind them in passing. But just with the well-rounded nature of, of, of that team, um, I'm, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't cackle there out of any hesitancy. I know my pick. It is the Queens Golden Gales. I just had to get that out because like I said, I'm going to be in Guelph tomorrow night, but you know what? I'm in there of support of a bygone era and uh, you know, the uh, yeah, the, the team's really been turned around from where it has been, from where it was in my time. Yeah, it's been turned around. Not saying in what direction, but it's it's uh, it's turned around from the era I'm going to celebrate. So, <laughs> Queens on the road, Guelph's homecoming. Sorry. Yeah. Tom. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, like you said, um, certainly don't mean to say that James Keenan hadn't proven proven himself by any means. I think this is just that's the kind of showcase to show the the rest of the league of what he's capable of at any given point, you leave him some targets and he's going to find them and he's going to do some great things there. Uh, yeah. In a lot of these rivalry games, you can get 
you know, there's some surprises that come, can come along there. People find an extra gear. They get really jacked up. It's Queens Guelph. There's a lot of bad blood there between the coaching staff and everything else. And while I truly believe that Ryan and Pat Shan and Devin and all those guys are going to do their very best to get the Guelph Griffins as ready as they possibly can, it is not going to be enough. Queens Golden Gills come in here on a, a homecoming night and roll through with a, another dub on the season. Yeah, in in the stew laying bowl, if you will. Well, moving from one bowl to the next, we go to the big smoke where we get the the game that I still can never settle on what it is officially called. I'm sure there is officially a game, but whether you call it the Red and Blue Bowl, the Argo Cup, or the Battle of Toronto, it's York, it's Toronto. UFT, of course, that is. They're playing at Varsity Stadium. Um, one o'clock game, of course. And you know what? <laughs> As Tom makes a, a horse face there. Um, you know, this is a game that um, if you haven't been to a red and blue, uh, red and blue bowl, Nargo Cup, whatever, uh, it's actually it's a lot of fun to go to. I've been both to one at UFT and at York. And just with the uh, amount of uh, alumni that are still in the city and just the connection to the, the you know, to Toronto to Toronto football, which of course is very near and dear to my heart. It's it's a great night to go out to, or a great event I should go uh, I should say to go out to, if only specifically because when I've gone I'll see so many people where it's like oh my goodness like we played summer ball like twelve years ago or like oh my goodness we played it when you were at Central Tech when I was at North all these things are like you know so it's a it's a fun celebration of Toronto football, um, and these are two teams that um you, you know we talked about some of the. You know, we got accused on our social media of being, uh, I don't know, uh, homers for York, apparently. I, I don't know. You clearly aren't listening to the pods all that carefully, though. I think, you know, I don't, we don't try and be malicious. But these are two teams that, um, you know, though in the standings, they sit both at one and three. You know, not necessarily far from where people might have expected them to be at this point in the year. But, you know, I think from what they've shown on the field, it's a, it's a bit of a surprise to say these teams are going into this um, tied in the standings. The home field advantage, I don't think really is much of a thing in this game. Um, but let's talk about, you know, we, we mentioned how Loria getting their shot at York that, you know, and this is all kind of the sports talky stuff that's probably has no bearing on it whatsoever. But, oh, they're this young club and Taylor Elgersma is going to go in there as if it were a Vanier Cup against um, you know, Laval or if a Yates in, in London and he, you know, just going to do his thing and beat the, you know, what out of the York Lions. But maybe the case was that, you know, him being a bit of a young QB, a young offensive line, that some of the stuff that York throws defensively was able to, you know, throw him off his game and taking them a while to get their mojo going. As we've said, we've seen that with a few teams. So now we look at a team like UFT, which in pretty much every position but quarterback, they are fairly veteran. Adam Williams has been there for a number of years. They have a lot of veterans like Michael Lehman, Daniel Diodotti, Nigel LaGoods, to name a few, in the receiving core. But of course, the story for UFT this year has been the uh, ascension of one Kinsale Phillip uh, in his f- first year at the helm for them had that breakout game against Queens or in the first half of Queens hasn't quite matched that production. Uh, what are you thinking about in this matchup specifically or in whatever direction you want to take it when we look at um, w- whether you want to kind of look at that angle of another young QB facing off on a York Lions defense that can cause, you know, that brings the ruckus, can cause some havoc or whatever angle you want to look at it, perhaps a York rushing team with Malcus Alunga that's been able to get some things going and a UFT defense that's had, you know, some up and down success in their def- in their uh, rushing defense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think this one... <sighs> This one's going to be the closest game that I think York is going to be in all year. And I don't want that to take anything away from the the Toronto Varsity Blues here because we have been so harsh against these York Lions here, and rightfully so. I think, uh, <laughs> Zach, you, are, you being the uh, epitome of an optimist always finds the good in certain things and the positives in that. And while York does have a decent enough running attack, I will give you that, there's just a lot of things that are going on wrong with that program right now. And there's not a whole lot of things that are going right in certain games in that, but the big 
side of things and what we've been focusing on for the per, uh, the previous few games here is the opponent uh, opponent team. And this week, that is the Toronto Varsity Blues. I think there was a lot of really uh, beneficial or a lot of really great things that we saw from this uh, Varsity Blues offense specifically. You know, Kinsale Phillip, the run game, they beat up on Carlton in that game, which I still can't believe. It was a hell of a game to watch. It was so exciting and everything else. And then you you watch them go up against Windsor. And total offense on the day is 156 yards. You know, that's that's like a decent enough maybe first half, but for the whole game to be along those lines. And I'm kind of concerned right now that you've the, the Toronto Varsity Blues have almost been figured out. If you can shut down the rushing attack and put a lot of pressure on Kinsale Phillip, he's just not ready yet to take a team to the promised land on his own, in my opinion. I think eventually maybe even as soon as next year he absolutely will be ready to just not in his first year starting but i think the he does enough things right and i think he focuses on his positives makes some plays with his legs and kind of takes off running and things and he uh he pulls away from this york team i think you and i both are uh of the opinion of that i don't know if we're ever going to pick york as the victor of a of a game this year just based on some things but uh I think that's the biggest the biggest question that I have for this Toronto Varsity Blues team, I guess, is can you win when you don't rush the ball for 200 yards a game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, you bring up, I think, one of the things, and and you're 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 right in this game that I think it will be a close game, um, at least for most of it, um, if not the whole game. But is that um, is that dual threat that Kinsale can bring? Which, if if they aren't able to run it with Williams in their sort of more uh, traditional package, and you know if Kinsale's not having the success moving the ball, I think it's just such a um, it's such a variability that he brings to the table that I think could be tricky. And honestly, you know it's it's a, a bit cliche when we talk in Canadian football. You know, it's you know special teams is a third of the game, but you know it's it it, it truly is a, a major factor, and it's you know it's 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 so unfortunate. I mean. I mean, save for the incredible returning ability of Alfred Olay and what he's done this year, though he kind of got banged up a little bit last week, just York's inconsistency on their punting game. I mean, I'll see as I'm kind of yammering on right now if I can sort of find their stats on the year in terms of the number of times they've got kicks blocked or had... um, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to get that off of, you know, I'll give the OEO credit. They've gotten better on their website with some of the stats they keep and everything like that. Um, but but nonetheless, I mean, it was, you know, it, it was for the longest time they couldn't get the snaps down. And then they they went to a new long snapper and it seemed to fix that a little bit. But now the the the, the dude they had puntings hurt and now that's an issue for them as well. And so it's just... um. It feels like if it's not one thing, it's the other. And, you know, Nate was pointing it out where in that Laurier game, they're moving the ball downfield and they have an opportunity to open the scoring and they can't handle the snap on the field goal to put them up three zip. And, uh, you know, it's just um, it's just, I, you know, it, uh, it, what, what, it, it just feels like Murphy's Law with them. You know, it's just like whatever could go wrong will go wrong. Uh, one last thing I'll say of note, though, that I, I think is uh, uh, will be fun to see in this one when we talk about kickers is the uh, the the return of sorts of of Dante Mastro Giuseppe uh, against his former York Lions now kicking of course for the UFT Blue shout out to Dante hell of a kicker even uh, more of a hell of a guy words I'm not good at them but uh, you know obviously at Varsity Stadium but his first time going up against his old team but yeah it, I I'm go- I'm going with Toronto in this one just because yeah I think I think York can cause some issues for UFT we've seen them do that all year but just we haven't seen York consistently have a pass game their rushing game at times has been effective but you know they're really having to work Melkas Alunga a ton and he's looked like he's gotten a bit banged up maybe they'll get some of those guys like Darnell Jarrett or Devontae McCoy back I don't know what their status is and what a boon that would be for them but just on all factors just more not that uft is necessarily head and shoulders better aside from perhaps who they have throwing the ball and just what kinsale can bring versus noah craney but you know it's just the consistency i feel like with that team in all factors that it just if i'm going to say who i want to win this game it's going to be the more consistent team at home as well 
Yeah, completely agree with that. And uh, something else that I I did want to point out, and we'll we'll get into the, uh, the details at least on the uh, the Windsor side of things uh, in just a little bit here. But I think everybody who has consistently listened to this podcast knows how much of a fan of Joey Zorn I am. Uh, Jay Z, yeah, he's 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 the he's been doing some really great things here, and I've been really happy with what I've seen. But you look against Windsor against uh, Toronto. 10 rushes for 56 yards. I think that's the lowest amount of rushes that he's had or the uh, lowest amount of yards, I should say, on uh, on some attempts here in this league so far. You can kind of correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's not easy, as we've seen with a lot of other teams here, to corral Joey Zorn pretty consistently, and this Toronto team did. So, you know, we'll see how good that, that Toronto defense is and, let you know, we uh, we've seen some issues in the past with some other teams and whatever else, but you know, they've, they've got at the very least some potential there. And if you can counter that or you pair that, I should say with an offense that maybe needs a little bit of a, you know, a great field position here or there, or a little bit extra oomph and things, maybe this Kickstarter comes from the defense rather than the offense here. But once again, for sure, going blue the entire way, but I'm just interested to see where the inspiration comes in this game. Does the offense Mm -hmm. kick things off or does the defense make a stand and really fire everybody up? Or is there a a snap going way over a punter's head that gets scooped and scored to open up the scoring (laughs) and it's all snowballs from there. But you mentioned Joey Zorn and that takes us to our final game of the day. Although all the, I'm not even going to just, the uh, the last of the one o'clock games, Windsor going to Carlton. I mean, you, you could, it's, it's it's what a seven eight hour drive. You you're putting at one o'clock. These kids are in school. I mean, holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> oh, holy Zach, cow. if you had any hair left, I think you'd be pulling it out right now. Oh, my my honestly, my my chin from pulling my beard hairs is just <laughs> on fire. But. You know, honestly, I, I this one, you know, the bookmakers out there, I think, had some sway in this one because, you know, I, when I look at this game, you know, it's the long drive. It's the one o'clock start for Windsor. And, and I'm thinking to myself, all, all things being equal and say a neutral field, equal rest, equal distance. You know, Windsor is one of the best teams running the ball with Joey Zorn. Carlton is one of the worst teams defending the run. And we saw, and pardon me, we saw against UFT, you know, we keep talking about, you know, I need to give you more credit for what you said off the, when, when we were talking before we started recording of, you know, despite the blowouts, it, it was still really interesting. And we've already talked about the Ben Miracle, you know, coming out party and, and what James Keenan did and another quarterback having a real breakout game in, in uh, Danny Skelton for Windsor, you know, albeit, kind of caveating just what that means against a UFT defense. Um, although I like a lot of the guys they have in their secondary in specific, but you know, all those things, all those things being equal as far as, you know, if it, you know, it's Windsor traveling to Carlton, one o'clock game, you know, this is just, this is right for Windsor to, to run all over Carlton. Do how much do I think that one o'clock start in the travel is going to factor in? Mm, not overwhelmingly, from what I've seen so far, but this could be an interesting game. We talked about how Carlton and their passing game behind Tanner DeYoung has been a top two passing attack, but we saw last week they're missing the brothers Ferdinand in, in, in Denny and Kasim. And that's, you know, and those, those two factor in on every aspect of the field for the Ravens. Um, uh, Kasim, of course, being, uh, or maybe I'm, well, I'm not mixing them up, but Kasim obviously being uh, such a, a great threat for them as a, as a, uh, a receiver as well, and Denny in the return game and, and on defense as well. But just it's just you know, going back to your point about your Marauders and how what they were able to do last week, you know, caveat, caveat, caveat about Waterloo and this, that, and the third. Just knowing that that was gave you whether it's hope or gave you frustration because they were showing what they should be able to do week after week against any opponent. 
uh, Carlton's inability to run the ball with Josh Ferguson, save for week one against McMaster, drives me nuts because I, I have to imagine I am as big a Joshua Ferguson fan outside of you know the Carlton Place region. And his, I believe, is he comes. I think he's from the Niagara region himself. I'm sure he's got a lot of people cheering for him there. I absolutely love the young man. He is such a fun runner to watch. And it's not even as if, and, you know, I know it's easy to to Monday morning quarterback all these things that, you know, it's one thing to say if he's just not getting the yardage and and they're feeding him the rock or whatever, but you'll watch their games and you'll see the stats and he'll get maybe 10, 15 carries at max. And on the flip side, you say, well, but they're passing the ball effectively. And I'm thinking, but they're not winning, you know, I mean, they won against York. Anyway. Sorry, I'm all over the place on this one. I've said a lot of things, whether they're all making sense, whether they're connected in any logical, conceivable way. I'm going to stop right now. Tom, we got Windsor going to Carlton. What are you thinking, my friend? Yeah. First and foremost, let's reiterate what we were talking about just before. How do you have five one o'clock games and one of them be Windsor in Ottawa? That's an eight hour drive. So rude. Come on. So rude. And I do think, I think no matter what people say, you know, there's, uh, oh, I'm too tough for this. We focus properly. We do this, blah, blah, blah. That drive affects you. It for sure does. Even if it's just a tiny bit of grogginess, you're you're not as comfortable as you would be in your own bed. You don't have your, your normal routines, whatever the case. It affects you on some level. Some teams more than others, depending on how their preparation goes, but it affects you. And I can guarantee you that. So, what do you do when it's you've got something that's bearing down on you? You're you know, you don't know what's happening or you got rain, you got snow, you got all of these other factors. You go with what you know best and you try to run the football and Windsor runs the ball better than most teams in this this league. Now, we did just detail about that Toronto uh, varsity blues defense there. Joey Zorn only having 56 yards on 10 rushing attempts is a pretty uh, decent stat to hang your hat on for that Blues defense. I don't know that Carlton can replicate that. I think they've had a lot of issues in that run defense, uh, as you kind of detailed there. And uh, I think Windsor's, they come off and they, at the very least, establish the run game. I think we saw Danny Skelton really open up and, you know, I, I, Joked about it before, maybe, you know, not in the right terminology. And this time, for sure, coming out party um, plays yeah, against 100%. But, uh, plays against a, a team and just showcases what he can do. You know, 19 for 30, 256 yards and a touchdown, including a 42-yard bomb. Like, we're, we haven't seen this whatsoever. And to see him finally come out there, even if he can't replicate that same level of play in the next week, you now force a Carlton team to account for it. You can't just stack the box and go out all uh, guns blazing, you know, stop the run, then rush the quarterback. And you've got the very least potential for that. It's in the back of that defensive coordinator's mind. He's not going to just go all out all all the time. He's got to see what his, his guys can do. And listen, you know, nothing against that Carlton defense. Anytime you got Shaheem Charles Brown on the field, you have uh, the big play potential there, big sack, big tack for loss, whatever. But I don't know. I think I think this Windsor Lancer team is once again getting snubbed on that top 10, not making the, the list. And you got guys like uh, Mount Allison and everything else kind of going on there. I think Windsor comes to town battles through all of the elements that one o'clock game on an eight hour long drive and everything else. And they come out with a dub in Ottawa. Yeah, no. And, and I'm with you as well. Um, I guess we just went five for five on, on equal picks, um, but that's okay. Um, well, we, we still need to cover Waterloo Western. The, oh, shoot. Did I say, oh, wow. I skipped out. Well, oh, okay. Yeah. We're not, we're not going to be on the same the pick. People are dying Waterloo to know West. what we think. Oh my goodness, you're so how rude of me. Um yeah, wow, I did totally jump over that one though. Um but you know you mentioned, you know, you mentioned Carlton's defense and of course uh, Shaheem Charles Brown. It, it, their, their defense is so much deeper than than Shaheem yet somehow they're like just once again going by the numbers, they're they're one of the worst defenses in the UA. Specific and and it's obviously a big part of that is what they give up on the rushing uh, on the ground. 
in, in their defensive secondary, you know, guys like Talik Ayuman and Alamin Shipalu, um, you know, Zendru Oden, uh, Joachim Christian, the linebacking core, and some other really so, uh, solid guys, Cole Hepburn. But from what I understand from just kind of perusing on social media it, um, this week, um, one of my favorite Ravens over the last few years, Danny McPicks, Danny McWhorter, um, his season's done. Uh, one a stud cornerback for them. Wow. Um, it's it, it, I think it, I'm guessing it was maybe his his dad who was who was posting it was 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 my thinking. I think it was a, a Paul McWhorter. My apologies, Paul, if you follow our content, you're listening to this, and especially if your name's not Paul, um, <laughs> so, I'm so sorry. Uh, I I really don't go on social media all that much. I'm I'm so sorry, but you know that that's a big shot to that defense. I mean, he's also just like a fifth another fifth year guy, so as a presence, um, that's huge as well. So I mean, yeah, it's um, it's wins are on the road for me as well on this one, and um. You know, I think they'll be able to run it on them. But like we said, losing a guy like McWhorter, if 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 I am correct in, in thinking that that is the case, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that is the case on this one. Um, yeah, it's just um, tough going for a Carlton team and what's been, you know, you look at the standings as of right now, two and two, which, you know, it's it's puts them like pretty well squarely right in the middle of the standings. Um but with some of those teams sitting below them, like McMaster, maybe not this week for Guelph with them playing Queens, but you could see definitely some teams below them perhaps start to, you know, leapfrog over them. And, you know, they could be a team that winds up in that. It might be them, Guelph, Waterloo, possibly UFT. It's sort of the end of the day, really scratching and clawing for a chance to to get in for a playoff game. Um, and by the looks of it, that'd be a road playoff game against Queens or Ottawa. And you know, that's a hey, making the playoffs is making the playoffs. But it's been a tough year for Carlton, um, and I just I still can't figure it out with their running game being so ineffective. And uh, yeah, so 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 Joey Zorn and the Lancers all day. So now we take it to and sorry unless you have any final words on that one no no you you covered it perfectly my man okay well then to the game that uh my eyes glossed over on because <laughs> well I, I i i love you bert um and i love what you've done and continue to waterloo but it's it's the warriors rolling into london to take on western coming off a bye on their homecoming and um Week, you know, last week I think one of the it was interesting late in the game. I mean, we saw both Mac and Waterloo go to backup quarterbacks. Of course, when um, when young Mister Hall came in for Mac, it was more the situation of well, you know, the game's in hand. Duick's done his thing. He's a bit of the old man. Let's give him some rest. Let's get the the heir apparent a, a few reps. When Waterloo went to Nick Orr. Mm, that really had the feeling of we haven't scored a single point this game and or wasn't able to get make, make anything happen for them either. But, um, you know, I definitely went from this feeling of, hey, you know what? I don't expect Waterloo to, you know, make a lot of noise. I mean, maybe they'll make it into the playoffs and, you know, just have some exciting games here and there. But, you know, Nolan Caban looks like he, you know, he's the dude. And, you know, Max, obviously a tough defense um, and everything like that. And, you know, we, we keep talking about sort of the the bar, the litmus test that certain teams can be and the numbers they were able to put up against Guelph. But, I mean, we're now talking about Guelph's defense as being, you know, a, a, a problem for Guelph, that is. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because it's just, you know, and, and, and I'm not, not to say, I mean, you can't take away what he was able to do. I mean, you still have to go out there and as a young quarterback put up those numbers. But. It's um yeah it's it's un, it's unfortunate. I mean they they've been able to have some success running the ball with Anthony Miller and Nicholas Sua, and you know obviously they have two of the you know when you just look at wide receiving pairs. I mean Basiliga and Lamb. I mean it, it it's hard to find a duo of receivers that get better than that. Um, 
but I mean, you know, like like Western will win. Like that's you know to, to say the least. I'm, I guess I'm more trying to look at the things for Waterloo that perhaps you know just what to kind of keep an eye on for with this team moving forward. Will Cole Crossett be back kicking the ball? We obviously saw him get injured at, against Guelph, literally kicking his leg off to hit that 49 yard field goal, and then missed the whole game against McMaster. It'll be great to see him back because you know when he's healthy, he is an All Canadian candidate every single year. Um, but I don't know. What what are you thinking about uh, this matchup uh, with, with Waterloo and Western? Yeah, this is uh, this is going to be a bit of a tough game for the uh, these Warriors here. Uh, there's a lot of things that are stacked against them. Uh, not to not the least to say that Western is coming off of a bye. <laughs> Uh, coming off of a bye, going into a homecoming game, I, and they are riding a high right now after beating up on a Queens uh, team that is, you know, the second best in the in the conference for sure, and they beat up on them pretty good. Uh, I think this is this is something to. Uh, it's going to be a tough, tough game, and this is going to. If you want to spin it in any positive way, this is going to get Nolan Saban, uh, Caban some real live playoff caliber bullets. This is what the OUA's best looks like. If you can hang with Western, you can hang with anybody. You're going to have... And Tom, they're not going to hang with them, though. They're, they're not, not going to hang with they're them. They're not. Like... They're not going to hang with them, no. But that's the saying. That's the saying. If you can manage it, you can do it. But they're not going to hang with them. I don't want to you know the positivity train here stops right now uh you know against the mcmaster defense that really has not shown a whole lot of uh, promise leading up to this game nolan caban nine for 17 89 yards two picks their leading rusher on eight attempts had 32 yards and just were stymied the entire game james basilica who's the stud receiver really knows what to do Four catches for 31 yards. Gordon Lamb, one catch for 19 yards. And this is not a McMaster defense that is at the top of the conference by any means here. This is a Western defense that is terrifying to look at normally. And then to go on top of the offense that they have with them. And, you know, that's it's just overall terrifying at, uh, at the very least. You mentioned about um, Evan Hillock and he's, you know, currently ranked number seven in passing yards. He's number one in passing touchdowns with nine on the lead on the season so far. So pretty damn good. Also of note though, in the number two spot is Mr. Nolan Caban. So like I said, read into the stats as you will. There's different games, different conferences and whatever else. But in my opinion, I think Western has gotten through their tougher part of the season in the first half and are now coming back on the second half where I thought, you know, McMaster team was going to give them some trouble, which at this point in time, uh, no, I don't think so. So yeah, uh, long winded way of saying Western is Western big in this one. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, you know, I, I, yeah, it's just, we, we, you joked yesterday, and or pardon me, last week, and it made for a great little opening soundbite for me and putting the pod together. And that, uh, you know, I was pulling for the Warriors, and pardon me, I was pulling for the Marauders, and you're pulling for the Warriors. I mean, pulling in the sense of picking them to win their games. Uh, I have to push back on, you know, McMaster defensively. I think they have been pretty solid and one of the better teams defensively. And that, you know, I am now a little bit more interested in that Mac Western game next week. Not. <laughs> to the extent that I'm going to be, you know, picking against the Purple Ponies, but I'm clearly getting ahead of myself because I'm already talking about, you know, next week's game for Western. Um, though, you know, Greg Marshall does not have anyone in that locker room thinking about anything other than this game. And that's just, you know, going back to the UFT and in, in York breakdown. And though we might there's aspects of that game where they might be a little closer in some regards and maybe even give York a little edge, just that consistency from the the guys filling up the water to just like the people, you know, scheduling buses and stuff. You just have a bit more faith in the one institution than the other on top of the other reasons why we would both be bullish and picking Toronto in that one or at least favoring them and, and that's just another one and this not to say Waterloo I, I love what Waterloo is going once again I will give Bertoya and, and everyone there who's made Waterloo um a, a great option for young athletes to to pick I mean it's like let's not forget the ashes from which he had built this program and we can talk about Trey Ford till the cows come home I've 
talked about Trey Ford uh, so much in, in my span doing this this thing here we call at the 55. Um, but, you know, you, you have to give credit to what they built there as a program, Trey having a massive part in it. But, I mean, like Western is just, it, it has that kind of, you know, Sports cliche alert, sports cliche alert, you know, team of destiny with the Vanier being in London, all these things. And they know what it takes to win from just how to prepare to how you have your mindset right and all these, you know, extraneous things to what's actually going to happen on the field. I, you know, they're, they're going to run it. They're, you know, they're going to play action it. They're going to, you know, play just ferocious defense. Um, Daniel Valente is going to lead that defense to just causing I mean we we talk about like the headaches that York can give I mean you know a, a guy like Valente just being the sort of captain of that defense and just moving guys around I mean what a headache that must be and we think about whether it's or or Caban um you know two two guys who have ne- who have never seen anything what like what they're gonna see so um that's all I really want to talk about with this one I'm still I don't <laughs> think I'm gonna go I'm kind of tempted I mean I am in London I mean it's right there it'll you know after that game against Queens and how fun that was but it's part of the night ambiance and it was the only game at the time so it didn't conflict with my duties to you know follow and report on all these other beautiful games happening in the OU um Tom any final remarks on that game or on anything else um of note while you're on the mic yeah uh last remarks on the Waterloo Western game you know there's a lot of times where you'll hear us both Zach and myself and Nate as well certain games you talk about you know oh they've got this going for them and they got this going for them and if they can get a good game out of here they can do this and you know, you can get pretty competitive in that way. You cannot do that against the Western Mustangs. You have to be a complete team that can take a haymaker and take a 80 yard touchdown bomb and go back down the field and answer right away because they hit you with one and then you go down and maybe you get a field goal and then you, they hit you with another touchdown and then you go down and maybe you get a touchdown and then they get another one and another one and they keep going and they keep rolling. And if you can't handle the punches, it's just not going to go well for you. So yeah, this is, this is Western big. Um, once again, I think here we see some more competitive games across the board really, but uh, final message from me, OUA, spread the games out. Thank you. Tom, that's uh, that's an absolute nightmare for me to edit what you just did on the audio there, but that's okay. <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, yeah, uh, OUA, I mean, gosh darn it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so mad. I, I'm, I am, I am, I am, I am livid with you right now, OUA. Um, but anyways, we'll call that a wrap on this podcast. Uh, for uh, for tonight so enjoy the slate of games whether you're attending one live or frantically like myself trying to watch five football games at a time and tweet out however many of them I, I will do along with the rest of the team uh, but you know we'll have a cover for you because that's what we do so we'll talk to you come Monday with the full recap at 55. <laughs>